Welcome to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. This week, I'm joined by BMO's OIS and cross-currency trader, Joel Prusky. This week's episode is titled, The Notorious B-E-A-R. I'm Ben Reitzis, and welcome to Views from the North. Each episode, I will be joined by members of BMO's FIC sales and trading desk to bring you perspectives on the Canadian rates market and the macro economy. We strive to keep the show as interactive as possible by responding directly to questions submitted by our listeners and clients. We value your feedback, so please don't hesitate to reach out with any topics you'd like to hear about. I can be found on Bloomberg or via email at benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. That's benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. Your input is valued and greatly appreciated. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. I'd like to welcome Joel back to the show. Uh, he's our, a regular guest now, and uh, I always enjoy talking to him. Not unlike my marriage has been, third time is the charm. Third time is the charm. I think this will be our best episode. Uh, I mean, there's lots to talk about. So the last few weeks have, have been pretty eventful in Canada. We got the Bank of Canada last week. They came through with a taper as expected and sounded materially more upbeat. We also got the federal budget, which had piles of spending on it, also pretty much as expected. There were some interesting parts of the budget, though, on the issuance front. We can get to that. But I'd like to ask you first about the Bank of Canada. Governor Macklem was particularly upbeat, I think, probably more than what most people have thought, given we're still going through the third wave here. What are your thoughts on that, Joel? I, mean, I think it was an acknowledgement that things are better than they expected, and uh, we managed to find new ways to consume and do business a lot better than their worst-case scenarios. Not really unlike what Powell just said a few scant minutes ago. The difference, I think, is, is how the market has acted or reacted between the two countries. It seems like the market believes the Fed a lot more than they believe the bank, although, I, I mean, at this point, the bank has pretty much come to where the market is. The market had been pricing a much more aggressive Bank of Canada than what the bank had been putting out there. And as the data improved, I think it moved more toward where the market was. The market clearly had a bit more uh, foresight there than the bank did. Whereas for the Fed, I mean, really until very recently, the rate expectations have been pretty far out on a relative basis. Not quite as far as the Fed's dots, but further out than Canada. I guess that's probably a function of their tolerance for inflation. Is there anything else in there, maybe? I think there's a couple things. I think, for one, because Canada is much less liquid than the US, when you do get reactions in the market, they tend to be overreactions because of liquidity. So that's one reason. I mean, if you're talking about you know why we put a pin in, when the bank's going to hike, and how much more aggressive they're going to be, I think a lot of that's just a function of the lack of liquidity in Canada. But I also think that in terms of the Fed, the market believes what they want to believe. Powell has promised not to hike until a certain time frame. That's the market's interpretation only. He's promised to keep accommodation in the market. They don't define what that is. And I mean, I just listened to his rather boring press conference, and I would say he didn't tell you anything. And I really believe that just like Canada, the market will eventually be way ahead of the Fed. I mean, the Fed's never been proactive in the 33 years I've traded, let's be honest about one thing. So you're expecting effectively the market to price a more aggressive Fed at the end of the day. So in your first appearance with me, you were particularly bearish on rates. Sounds like that view hasn't moved one iota. 
I mean, it's hard to get excited about owning fixed income securities. I mean, think about the US. They are ready to adopt a flexible average inflation targeting. I kind of think the Bank of Canada is as well, whether they call it that or not. But we're all willing to tolerate overshoots of inflation. So we have very negative real yields. I just don't see the value in owning, let's say, 10-year Canada bonds at 150 when we know we're going to see inflation at or close to or, well, I think well above 2% for the next several years. It just doesn't make sense. Like It, it seems all risk, no reward. I'm very much with you there. I, 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 for me, I think the risks on inflation are still one-sided and they're on, they're on the high side. I, I understand kind of the secular arguments against inflation and where we've been and where things have been for the past, I don't know, decade plus, but we're not there. We've never had this kind of stimulus in place before fiscally and from monetary policy authorities. At the same time, there's, I mean, a potentially significant inflation coming and you're starting to see dribs and drabs, but I, I think we'll probably get a better picture toward the end of this year when things are fully reopened. So the, the question then is, is how persistent is that inflation? At that point, I'm not entirely convinced it will be kind of permanent inflation per se, but it could last three, four, five quarters. And if it does, is the market prepared to, to look through three, four, five quarters of inflation? I, I suspect not. That would mean probably a, a notably steeper yield curve than where, where we are today. And higher in general. I mean, remember, he mentioned today several times how inflation expectations, and I mean, the real risk is that inflation expectations stay high. Right now, the Fed says, yeah, we'll look through it. We could even go up to 2.6% because we've undershot on our fake inflation measure for the last 10 years. And we're willing to overlook it as it goes through it. But if it starts to get ingrained into people and what they expect, then the Fed has a different problem. It's something that they've not ever done in 20 years, which is basically have to spank the market. Well, well we, we shall see on the inflation front. I think there's the, the only issue there is there's a long way to go before we get there. I think uh, the, the near term, everyone's going to think is transitory, and it probably will be, and we're still not going to be reopened fully in any way, shape, or form until later this year, and then we'll see where the uh, inflation numbers sit by then. Still a ways to go there. I agree with that, but the problem is when those inflation numbers come out, Everyone can say, well, we're willing to look through them, except it's still that, that print at 2.4% or 2.5% doesn't make you really super bullish. I mean, it's one thing if the market was to sell off 50 or 75 basis points to a level where I think guys would say, well, wait a minute, you know, if we got up to here, I'm comfortable on the risk reward. I'm just not so sure at current levels that risk reward favors, you know, owning fixed income securities. Yeah, that's fair. I would just say that like the higher prints that are coming, they won't even matter. We won't react at all. The prints that will matter for the market will come much later this year, probably more in the, in the fourth quarter, maybe even early next year, depending on how the vaccination schedule ramps up or down or, or how variants work out and, and how the pandemic kind of evolves over the next year or through the rest of this year, call it. One point I think that maybe I didn't stress enough in my, my analysis of the bank was there seeming acceptance of Canadian dollar strength. They, they just didn't seem to be overly concerned about the strength in the Canadian dollar. And it's continued to move since then. And whether that's because of the bank or not, I'm, I'm not even sure it's relevant. It's more like, is the bank under this governor more willing to see a strong Canadian dollar? If you get through the polarized years, that was clearly a focal point. Under Carney, didn't seem like the bank cared all that much when the currency was strong. Are we back to those Carney years where Macklem was a senior deputy governor for much of that time? Or is is it more like Polos? Are we in between? Is something coming on that front? Do you have any thoughts on that? 
I think Tiff is a bright guy. He's been an insider for his entire career. I mean, he knew by coming out and saying what he said that it would be a green light to strengthen the Canadian dollar. And I think it's a good kind of strength at the moment, right? In terms of trade, commodities, like I get that. So I think at the moment it doesn't bother him, but that's not to say at 118 he may feel the same way, right? Yeah, that's fair. I think that's probably the right way to look at it. I just think that that by not saying much of anything about the currency, they've given markets a green light to test how far they're willing to accept it. And so that wouldn't be shocked. Uh, if you were to get kind of a little more persistent Canadian dollar strength in the near term, which in turn is a dampener on growth and inflation and all that here. Well, everything is the same trade, remember? Like, I think there's a reflation narrative going on globally, right? I mean, it's it's value over growth, it's commodities, it's, you know, Canadian dollar. Like, you know, everyone is in different forms of the trade macro-wise, and the Canadian dollar is just a form of that macro trade. It's true. As we reopen, commodities will probably continue to stay relatively well bid, which is obviously a positive for Canada. Uh, oils, oils calmed down a bit here, but everything else has gone like lumber's gone bananas, uh, and, and wheat prices have gone up a ton. And like you've just seen, uh, commodities bid almost across the board here, which obviously is a positive for the Canadian economy, which is a, a big uh, commodity exporter and producer. You've been in the business a long time. I'm not, I'm not going to date you. But, uh, it's, it's, it's been a while. You're bearish on duration now, and I'm curious about what you think about the issuance profile that the government of Canada came out with last week. So for those who don't pay that much attention to Canada, Canada has increased the weighted average maturity or is going to increase the weighted average maturity of issuance significantly again this year. Issuance of tens and longs. Longs is flat. Tens are up another $10 billion, despite a near $100 billion drop in total issuance. So if you go back over the past few years, so in, in fiscal year 1920, 10-year and longer issuance was 14% of the total, and total issuance was $124 billion. In 20, fiscal year 2020-2021, went up to 29%, and that's of $374 billion. And this coming year that started April 1st, it's going up to 42% of $286 billion. And so the dollar amounts keep going higher here, significantly so. And that has to play toward your hatred of direction. Part of the problem is I think the bank kind of muddled the message on that, did they not? Like, I know we love to drop bombs on Fridays at four o'clock in terms of things that the Bank of Canada does, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did make some changes in terms of the profile. You mean QE though? Like on the issuance side, the government is just issuing massive amounts of new long bonds and 10 years. Yeah, on the QE front, I think you're right. It sounds, and if you listen to the bank speak, if you listen to Macklem in front of Parliament or the Senate committee, he really stressed the political independence of the bank from, from the government. I mean, it, it seems clear to me, at least, that they didn't want to just mimic the changes exactly to the issuance profile to kind of divorce themselves a bit from making it seem as if they're funding the government. That's kind of a separate conversation, if they're funding the government or not. <laughs> How could that be a conversation? It's not a conversation. Are they funding the deficit? Yes. Next topic. Um, I, I will sympathize with you. So I, I actually take a bit of more nuanced view. Okay. Like, I think the nuance comes in, if they were to hold those bonds and let them mature and not reinvest, I, I can sympathize with them saying, yeah, this is, a, this is temporary. Uh, but when they make absolutely clear, which they have their intent to reinvest the maturities with no necessarily fixed end date on that, that to me is is like open-ended financing. That means you've permanently financed it. So unless they let their portfolio run off, which is going to be 
awful challenging given the maturities that that do come up kind of starting in 2022. That's where I draw the line personally. Well, I mean, and this goes back to, you know, a supply demand equation. I mean, for, for years, Canada's curve was what I thought was ridiculously too flat because there just simply wasn't enough long bonds out there for the people who wanted to buy them. And swap spreads always stayed high and things got silly and the bank had an option to extend WAM way back then when long bonds were sub 1% and they didn't. I get it. Whatever. That's their choice. That's why they're not in the private sector, I'm guessing. But nonetheless, now we have the opposite problem and there's going to be too many bonds. And what it's another reason to be bearish the way I see it. I mean, we need to get yields to a level to entice people to buy our bonds. That's a challenge I think America's going to have as well, right? Which is why extricating themselves from this mess is going to be a huge challenge for both the Fed and the bank, because how do you uh, reset the supply-demand equation given the massive amounts of supply that's coming? One of my favorite parts about Canada is that it is a very difficult market to predict. Uh, and 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 there was a knee-jerk reaction on the back of the increased issuance in tens and longs, and you got some weakness there and some steepening. Uh, and, and cross market weakness. Since then, and over the past kind of week plus, really past week or so, Canada has consistently outperformed. Any explanation on that? Maybe just everyone's kind of had enough. Uh, the last, the last longs in Canada had gotten washed out, and now uh, the, the the market is free to 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 rally from here since since uh, it's caused the most amount of pain. I do. I, I mean, I think that's very true, right? I mean, we went into um, the Bank of Canada. You know, again, much more hawkish, right? We were the first to hike. We were the most to hike. I mean, I picked June 2023 uh, beds, which is backs versus euro dollars. They were up at 68 basis points. And then Bank Canada came out. Everyone's like, get out of Canada. You know, it was hawkish. We were already really pricing in a pretty aggressive and soon to go bank. You know, that pushed out to 75. I think two year, one year got into the mid 60s. And then, of course, it's the three-day rule, I like to think. It's like uh, fish and in-laws. After three days, uh, they get bad. And uh, three days after the Bank Canada meeting, that all of a sudden Canada started to turn around because, you know, yes, it washed out the bad longs, of which I was one of them. And also because people said, I, I get it. I mean, you know, it it's he's right to be hawkish, but relative valuations do matter. And you know, bed spreads at 75 basis points essentially means two and a half hikes by the Bank of Canada before the Fed. And historically, that's pretty unusual. And Canada is a canary in the coal mine of global rates. And I think it's really important for other domestic places, whether it's uh, UK or, or US, for example, or Aussie, to see how fast that sentiment can turn and how quickly that part of the curve can get pounded, that that one-year, one-year, and two-year, one-year, what we call reds and greens, future space. Because we acknowledge stronger growth, and we got killed. Well, this growth is even stronger in the U.S., and they are, they're reopening way faster than we are. So at some point, you know, regardless of what uh, Jay Powell said today, you know, a series of numbers is going to come out that people are going to say, oh, my God, like, he can say he's on hold and he can say this that and the other thing but like this strength is overwhelming and you could see a payroll number at 1.5 million next week i do believe that well and the market's going to say yeah but but uh, but daddy jay said he's not going to raise rates ever well you know what that's crap i'm sorry he didn't say he's never going to raise rates ever he said he's going to keep things accommodative there's a huge difference there 
And I think at some point the market says, oh, wait a minute, you know, 1% rates in three years time, hmm, that seems pretty low compared to history. I'm, I'm with you there. Next week will be interesting because you're going to get, you may get like that one and a half million print, like you mentioned, and, and Canada might be like negative 200, 300, 400,000. Do you think that moves things at all or, or we're just fully expected there and fundamentals still are kind of, to some extent, take a backseat or, or really it's just temporary for Canada and who cares? Yeah. I mean, look, you know, a, a print, I think you have to look at it in the context of the rate differentials, not overall. I mean, if, if the U.S. is plus 1.5 and Canada's down 500 even, let's just say, you know, Canada, U.S. relative rates will narrow, absolutely. But, it, you know, a, rates will be significantly higher in the U.S. and Canada will follow. And B, you know, we are still managing to look through. I mean, as horrible as things are, especially in Ontario, where obviously we're from and have the most inside knowledge of, you know, we are making progress. We are starting to vaccinate lots of people. Once we get through this latest surge and start getting a lot more jabs into people's arms, things will be better come June. I mean, this is, you know, it doesn't take much science to to make you realize that, and you have to be forward thinking. So, I think it means something on interest rate differentials between Canada and U.S., but I don't think it means a lot. It, it, Canada, you know, rates can't move materially lower just because we're down four hundred and the U.S. is up one point five. Because you have to look through that. Yeah, that's that's cool. Anywhere on the curve where you're kind of most focused there, Canada, U.S. I mean, I'm a simple guy, so I pick the highest place. So if you're in the in the future space, it's June 3. If you like swap space, uh, hold on, I'm just hitting update as we speak because I have a little real-time sheet that tells me what's what. And it was two-year, one-year, is up at 65 basis points. I, I kind of think that's the sweet spot. Two-year, two-year was up in the mid-60s as well. It's come back a bit. But I also like your idea from uh, earlier in the week, Ben, that two's fives, box trade, swaps, not bonds, because yeah. I, I don't. I, I think bonds get too technical and it, it's just not worth it because you could wind up being short or long a bond that, you know, all of a sudden you find the Fed owns 97% of them and you can't get what you want or the Bank of Canada owns too many. So I would always do it on swaps because let's face it, swaps are where it's at. <laughs> Says the swap trader. So I, I just don't see how that can steepen materially from here to five. Like there's, there's probably maybe 10 or 15 basis points possible of steepening, but uh, given the bank's turn here, it, it's certainly possible that uh, the steeps are already in on that curve. And so, whereas the Fed still needs to make their more hawkish turn. And if anything, we're probably a little bit underpriced there for the U.S. So it, it does seem as if there's room for Canada to, to flatten a little bit relative to the U.S. It's all variations of a theme, right? Because like, if I look at like two-year, two-year, for example, right? I mean, you know, the, historically, where do you think rates are in Canada relative to the U.S.? And, you know, I, I don't mean going back 30 or 40 years, you know, but like, let's say over the next last 10 to 15, right? I mean, generally speaking, 50 beeps of differential is about the max we could go in either direction. So if you're up and look at something that's that's got two year two year one year in swaps at sixty five or beds at seventy three, you know I mean you're you're talking about pretty much the max except for the the rare cases where the Fed was super aggressive and had to cut rates like crazy, only of which then Canada followed shortly thereafter. But we both have these massive indebted economies now, right? I mean we've solved each and every crisis with more and more debt. So I just don't think we're in a place where we're going to see a, a Canada's ability to raise rates independent of the U.S. much more than 50 basis points. 
All good points. That that 50 basis point level is kind of where I put the maximum differential personally. I just think the dollar starts to move too much after that. And then you get more expectations baked in. You go get back to like, again, 2011, 2012. And that point, Bank Canada had raised rates and the Fed was not there yet and eventually eased further. You had those that two year, two year up at, at 100 basis points. I think that that's probably a bit of the fear that that, that the market might have. But we're not in that place. Like there was no financial crisis. The U.S. is better off, not worse off in this case. Right. Uh, there's no reason to believe that that differential is going to get uh, anything. Pat, even 50 beeps is, is probably on the extreme side. Well, the only way I think you could even get there is if you're talking about taking rates back to, let's say, three or four percent. Right. Because then the 50 is less relevant as a percentage. Right. Like 50 basis points at one percent overnight rates, a huge difference. Right. But if you believe that there's a chance you can get rates to three or four percent, it gets us back to the title of this podcast. And I mean, what are you doing buying March euro dollars at ninety eight eighty? Give me a break. You know, I mean, th- those things are two hundred basis points rich. I would be something to get back to three or four uh, percent. As you mentioned, the, the debt burdens are substantial, to put it kindly. And so, I mean, on that on its own suggests that that rates probably can't move all that much unless you get a burst of inflation. And you would inflate away some of that debt. I think that's probably the only way to get there. I wouldn't rule that out. I'm not even sure that governments would mind all that much. They're spending a bit more affordable, use kind words. There is still plenty of spending coming, not just in Canada, but uh, in the U.S. as well. Right. So what's our star? I mean, honestly, after three years, I, I can't tell. I, you know, Looking at the market, someone says, oh, well, five years, seven years. I'm like, forget it. Three years is about the most I'd look out. And we have our star at 1%. I just think that's low. That's too low. I picked kind of the peak of the last cycle. 175, somewhere in that neighborhood, I think is a reasonable place to, to think about our start. On a nominal basis, on a, on a real basis, it would probably be around zero. One of the things I have a problem with is that we're looking through what we just went on through an 08 lens. And that's not really right. A, there's massive fiscal, which we never had. And B, it's not 08. The financial system isn't in peril. Like it's just, it's so different. So when people say, well, you know, based on the last cycle, you know, the Fed's going to stay at zero bound for so many years. I'm like, these are apples and oranges. This is, I mean, it's not even the same. So, so yeah, no, I, I, I think what you want to do though, what I'm saying is uh, the end of this past cycle, just like pre pandemic, when you had jobless rates at multi decade lows, that is somewhat indicative, I think, of, of where we can get to from a rate perspective. There was other stuff going on. And we didn't have this kind of fiscal impulse and we didn't have the type of household savings. And, and yeah, there's I think there's way more upside potentially, but the massive debt burdens that are just kind of like hanging over us uh, like an anvil or a cloud, depending on how you want to look at it, <laughs> are limiting factors. And that I just don't see how you can move rates that much higher without crushing the government for one. In Canada's case, hitting households pretty hard, given high debt to income ratios that haven't gone away. We don't talk about them anymore because there's other stuff to talk about, but they're still there. Uh, Joel, any trades you like, favorite trades before we call it a day? I've been beaten up on the trade, but I do like the Canada-US. I like receiving Canada paying US. I think, like I say, if you're a futures trader, uh, June 3 beds are the best. I think if you are swaps, the two-year, one-year space makes a lot of sense. I think in OIS, there's nothing interesting to do. In cross-currency space, we have a fairly steep curve. There's a lot of really interesting trades to do out there, but I suspect most of your audience doesn't really play in there. So we'll save that for a personal one-on-one call. If anyone does care, please reach out to me. But otherwise, uh, no, I, I don't see a lot of great stuff at the moment. I think liquidity has really been shattered over the last while. And I think also the next generation of traders isn't 
providing liquidity the way you used to. So I think it's a lot harder to get yourself into trades because you have to give yourself more breathing room because the illiquid nature of the market means dumb things tend to get really dumb. So when it, when it when it pops up on your screen and you go, oh, this seems you know cheap, wait it a week or two or five basis points, and then you'll be, oh, this seems dumb, and then stick a toe in, and then two weeks after that, when it's as dumb as dumb as can be, then you say, okay, now I'm all in. I think that's a fair representative, fair caricature of the market at this point. It is it has been challenging for the for the past while, and with the Bank of Canada eating a lot of the liquidity in the market, I think it, it does make it also challenging on, on the cash side in particular. Myself, I like fives on the curve right now, uh, as we mentioned. I mean, that just looks like a reasonable place to hide at this point. If you look at twos, fives, tens, fives look as though they have some some room to go. And cross market, I think, is a lot more challenging. I, I mean, it, it's super tempting to still like Canada. And, and fundamentally, I still do. But fundamentals haven't really necessarily mattered on that trade all that much. So maybe they'll matter from now on. But I guess uh, we'll, we'll see on that front. Joel, thanks again for joining me. I uh, appreciate your time. Ben, thanks for having me. I hope to look forward to seeing you on the golf course soon. Oh, that would be that would be truly wonderful. Thanks for listening to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. I hope you'll join me again for another episode. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interest in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.